Welcome to the NEPA Scene Podcast, Episode 2. We're going to be talking about uh, different forms of uh, media distribution this time around. Um, Get a little bit into music, film, uh, the internet, all kinds of uh, ways to get your, uh, your art out there. Um, I wanted to start just by kind of giving a brief of, uh, you know, what we've been doing on the site in the past week. Uh, we just had our first uh, NEPA scene open mic at the Woodlands on Tuesday. Um, oh, how'd that go? Uh, not bad. Um, I, I would have hoped for more of a turnout, um, but we did, you know, reach some people that hadn't heard of the site before. And, oh, that's uh, cool then. So, I mean, we had some fans that showed up, some supporters, which was really cool to see, you know, some people there that, you know, in the flesh and not just, you know clicking around online but uh the we have mostly comedians actually uh which really I, yeah i i figured okay open mic all the musicians are going to be coming out of the woodwork because we do so much music stuff and two musicians showed up and neither of them i don't think had even heard of the site at that point <laughs> So, so apparently, uh, inadvertently, Rich is huge on the underground comedian circuit. Yeah, and I, I had no idea. So that was that was actually was cool. Jimmy Reynolds one of them? Was he there? He was the only no. one. <laughs> <laughs> the only one that mattered. Yeah, really. he just walked up and recited uh, <laughs> website. That's all you did was you read like the reader available thing. You, you're not going to talk at all. I will. <laughs> I just snorted. I'm sorry. <laughs> all, right. all right, go back. So, sorry, 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 sorry. So we did that. That was that was cool. Uh, we're we're gonna have another one. Uh, you know, which when this when this goes online, it'll be tomorrow. So to, you know, tonight uh, we'll. Are you gonna do them every week? Yeah. Well, we're gonna try and you know see how it goes. See if it gets a crowd. You know, I, I we're gonna try like like this week. We're doing it a little bit earlier than we did last week because I think it was a little too late for some people. Um, cause you, you know, you got work the next day and stuff like that. So hoping to maybe get the dinner crowd and stuff to it. It's at 4 PM <laughs> and there's a spaghetti supper. No, <laughs> I wish there was though. That would be awesome. No, I, wish, yeah. but th- I mean, that's really cool that you guys, that, you, that you're doing that. I'm really surprised that comedians showed up. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, I mean, good for, I mean they, that's they, awesome too. They right? were funny too. You know, we, we're actually, we're putting up the videos tonight, you know, there's some that weren't, well, you know, oh, it's, <laughs> it's an open mic. You never know what you're going to get, you know, but well, I mean, that's how comedians do it. Like they try out their material. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, well, a lot of the guys kind of came prepared. The guy who won actually, cause, uh, we, we kind of vote on who, you know, uh, who we think is the best one of the night and everybody gets a say in that. And uh, Zach Hammond, he was he was hysterical, and he had like a full. He could have gone a full hour easily of prepared material. Like he's professional, you know. He was he was really good. I just think that's really funny. It's like why is that? You don't funny? even yeah. have to hear his material. You're just no, no, no. I just think it's funny where he's like, look, Mark's case, easy to please. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm real simple. Um, <laughs> but it's just really funny. He's like, you know, if you want, I could, I know it's an open mic, but I can do a full night. It's <laughs> <laughs> like. Like, good for him. Maybe, full to maybe the brim. that's what it'll develop into. What'd you say? It's full to the brim. <laughs> <laughs> Why, when I laugh, do I sound like Muttley? <laughs> who's Sorry. Muttley? Muttley, the Hanna-Barbera dog, who's always like... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Didn't he I, take a bite out of crime? No, that was... <laughs> that's the cross. Our cartoon dogs have already derailed the conversation. Yeah, okay. So keep going. Sorry about the... 
Uh, so we had uh, we had an interview with uh, the uh, Beelzebubs, which uh, I, I I assumed they were from Satan, but apparently they're from Tufts <laughs> University. <laughs> they're a, a, a young acapella group of of good looking guys. So I, I don't know uh, where that name came from or why, but uh, but we, we have we have an interview with those guys. We did a song premiere this week uh, of. Uh, down to Six's Oceans. Uh, they have a, a new album coming out soon. Love that band. Yeah, they're they're great, and uh, they they have actually approached us about doing the song premiere. So that was that was really great that they uh, they're they're tuned into what we're doing and everything. And uh, we also had a, a, a short film premiere too um, by a guy named uh, Jamie Souter, who uh, he does local films in the area. I know Twenty Five Eight was uh, involved in that. Uh, I yeah. I I think I saw you in there somewhere. He was, he was one of the creepy. Some, uh, I was yeah. I was I was um and it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm actually like agreeing with comments about how bad my performance is on Facebook as we speak. <laughs> people I, said that. People people actually Well no, it wasn't okay. like it but it was like you know, I, I was basically pointing out my own faults at the moment where it's like, hey, I'm fat and then other people are like, Hey, you're fat and it's like, Yeah, I know. I am. <laughs> but that's not what I said. Like I had an I came up with like the, the, the lame brain idea of being like, I should do this in an Irish accent. And, and Jamie, like, God bless Jamie. Jamie was like, fuck yeah. And then the first <laughs> so line, it, it was Irish, right? Yeah. But, my first, but my first line came out like I was from Alabama. And then like every line after that was Irish. But like the first line was like, it, it was literally like, well, come on down here to do this. And then it was like, but you know, when you go do that and it was, and it was just like, Oh my God. You looked like German though, like the way that I know. I look like I look like I was in like sprockets, and I had to. <laughs> and Jamie and I was like, Jamie, please, can I can I redo it and whatever? He's like, No, man, it was awesome. And I'm like, All right, my failed performance is brilliant. But everybody there, like, that's the cool thing about like this community, man, where it's like you know everybody kind of just you know does their best to work work together, and then I'll come in and you know ruin it, <laughs> muff it up. Oh my. <laughs> He speaks from the control room. Yeah, no, but Jamie had a really good, it, it, it's a really funny idea and the performances in it are, are awesome, minus mine. <laughs> so that's all no, I got to say did, about you fine. You did good. You were good. Yeah, but I'm memorable for the faults of it. Well, we're, all, we're, Corey, saying, you, we're you, our own worst critics. But you know you watched that and you went, mm, not I thought it was phenomenal. Work. Not his best work. I thought it was phenomenal. Corey <laughs> walked around for part. hours with the same accent. He couldn't shake it. <laughs> A Southern Irishman. <laughs> that's what that's what Corey was doing. Corey just dropped it about five minutes before we started the podcast. <laughs> which I'm fine. You're back to your Nipa ease, which is yeah, up up there, up there from the line. All right, sorry, we tangent. <laughs> so uh, let's introduce our uh, our guest for this week. Uh, Corey, would you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is uh, Corey Wolf. What? Marky's killing me right now. I like to cr- criticize my friends. <laughs> uh, my name is Corey Wolf, and I'm the president of a local record label uh, called Everyone You Know Entertainment. Um, I don't know. I've been around the music scene for a little bit now and put out a few records. Uh, I also work as a music marketer for an agency uh, based in New York called Dotted Music. So uh, everyone you know, we, we put out records, we put on events, Culture Shock we put on, which we didn't do last year, but we're actually going to do it again this year. So What is Culture Shock? It's an all-day music and art festival. 
Okay. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> I thought you had another question. No, no. no yeah, uh, yeah. My next question is, can you continue? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just looked at me like you were going to talk. Um, no, that's how, con- Corey, this is how conversation happens is we look at people. I don't like and, to talk to people. Well, did, did you close your eyes? Jimmy, that's why Jimmy's in like the glass box of but emotionless. Anyways, culture shock. Uh, it's an all day music and art festival. Um, last time we did it, we had, I want to say 15 acts over two stages there was an art show. We had big video game tournaments on projector screens. Um, I think that's about it. Did I mention it all, Marky? Yeah, no, it was great. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still commenting on my performance and a fine dining experience. Oh, Sorry, man. I'm just. It's social media. I'm just trapped. So continue. Next time, we should have you come down to Culture Shack and just do like a little performance. It's not really a performance. It's just like me awkwardly at a microphone, Spoken like not, word. not knowing what to say next. Like that's my whole. Will somebody else talk? While it's I, very while entertaining I... to watch you do that, though. Yeah, but it, it's because because I, I, I like I feel like I, like I'm I'm exploding and like everyone's watching like this slow motion car crash of me trying to formulate another thought. Okay, to me that was funny. <laughs> God damn it! Move on. <laughs> Lauren, why don't you start us off? Okay, so this week's topic is on the media distribution that we are dealing with across all medias in the industries that we are respectively working in. So, first of all, Corey, and your experience in the music world. It's like Diane Sawyer in, like talking to you. Am I making like, you nervous <laughs> looking at you? Do you want me to look away? I can look away. Don't look Corey, at me while you're doing it. Mark Corey. is weirding me out. Mark, stop looking at Corey. Corey. I'm going to have to do this next time via Skype. <laughs> so we can turn the computer even weirder. around. You've experienced some changes since <laughs> from boyhood. Since, you <laughs> since, since entering the music. <laughs> All right. So, so Corey, take two. Go, Lauren. <laughs> the music industry has exp- undergone a lot of upheaval over the past few years and that's kind of an understatement i think everybody's kind of abreast of the different situations that are going on in terms of music especially in distribution how people access music how people obtain it how artists choose to release it there's a lot of things going on even in the past week or so in terms of how uh, artists are choosing to kind of rein in how they're dealing with how their music is being released so let's uh talk about that i i actually just wrote um, in my article on NAPA scene, I think Not it was a, a few a few weeks ago, <laughs> about how the music industry is kind of in like a weird position right now. Um, and it's something that's happened continually since there was a music industry. Uh, and, w- and one of the biggest things of that right now is distribution. Back in the day, the record labels, they one of their biggest um, assets was distribution. They could actually manufacture you know, the record, the CD, whatever it is, they could actually manufacture it, distribute it throughout the country, throughout the world. Isn't that the majority of all their money came from, though, wasn't it? A ton of it, yeah. A ton of it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. That's why, that was the main reason you wanted a, well, that was one of the main reasons that you wanted a record deal was because they could get your album. If you were banned from PA, they could get your album in California, in Canada, you know, wherever, in Europe. But... But it's not like that so much anymore because of, you know, the internet. So it's, and it's uh, interesting because in previous iterations where we've seen the technology shift and change, we've seen a, uh, a resale cycle 
um, where people have to rebuy the albums that they've had previously on tape. They have to rebuy it on CD. So there was another market to make their money back on even the same content. Yeah, how come nobody ever complained about that? Because mm-hmm. it was the way it was. And then when it went from CD to digital, that changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I, I think even Band-Aid 30, you know, the the, do they, the Ebola still fundraiser doing... that they just did. Mm-hmm. It's like a We Are the World type deal. They still do Band-Aid? I didn't know that. Yeah, well. <laughs> they just the Willie Nelson one? That's, that's Farm Aid. Oh, no, that's Farm Aid. <laughs> it's Farm Aid. <laughs> but Band-Aid is. Gatorade, I don't know which one it was. <laughs> But Band-Aid is, uh, now it sounds weird saying it, but <laughs> <laughs> that was the one where it's a whole bunch of celebrities and singers that got together. It's like the We Are The World one that they did in With George Michael, right? Yeah. yeah well, a whole bunch of them <laughs> back in 84. That's who you remember. George Michael and Sting. And Phil Collins, too. Yeah. No, that and was... Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. No, that was, was Live there. Aid. No, we're not talking about a You're a talking concert. about Live Aid. The one with Queen? No, he's no, right. The, 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 he's right. Where they benefited, um, they did like a music video together. Yeah, it's like a track that like, there's a ton of artists in the world. And they, all the money went to, I forget Africa. what it was for. Yeah. Yeah. It was for Africa. It was, <laughs> it was artists for Africa. Right. Right. Okay, so I'm kind of like the in the ballpark. Was. You're thinking like a live concert, but it was- Live uh, Aid was the concert they had. Yeah. Right. This is Okay, so yeah. Band-Aid something. Okay, all right. Band-Aid's a track. Oh, oh like, okay. There's a whole bunch of them. Oh, Do right. they feed the world, right? I don't even right? remember what I was <clears throat> saying. <laughs> what, how is that relevant to what I'm saying right we now? We were talking about how the distribution was uh, oh, changing yeah. digitally. How th- They were just talking about how that track's not going to be as successful as the one they did in 84 because mm-hmm. of things like that. Uh, because now they're only getting a dollar for the track, whereas in 84 they had you know, a couple of different versions of it and they would sell it on CD and they make a ton of money because the markup on CDs was so much. But now that it's digital, they're not making anywhere near as much. And I forget the guy's name. The main guy that did it basically just said, uh, delete it and download again type deal. What do you mean? <laughs> That's exactly what he said. It was in digital music news today. Uh, he, he, he was advice. going on. Yeah, he was going on about how they're not going to make was as it Bob much money. Geldof? I can't remember the guy's name. If I saw him, I would know. So, oh, so he wants you to pay more money, i.e., delete it. Yeah, pretty so much. That's, so is that the new <laughs> business model? For- well, we need to make we need to make more money for our album. So can you please buy it, delete it? Well, that's really the question at this point. Where does a band make money? Advertising, exactly revenue. What? You put what? it on YouTube, and then there's an advertisement that pops no, up. No, they prior barely make to. any money off of that. And half the time, if it's a major label artist, the record label's taking a pretty big size chunk of that. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a commercial for Kraft mac and cheese in the middle of a Taylor Swift song? We can't forget that the the music industry isn't just the band and the artist. And and I'm sorry that I sound very corporate America right now, but to be fair, there's a lot of people whose livelihoods well, are okay, built well, then upon supporting that act a, to make sure point. it gets to the audience that it's supposed to get to. And removing the, dis- the that distribution channel that the entire industry was set up on has created a kink in the flow. Was it, But that was more of the, the blue collar side of the industry was distribution. It was the manufacturing, the, the shipping. A know, lot of that. But the customers, all- the, the sales. Well, there were a ton of jobs that were lost. Look yeah. at uh, WIA. 
around here. Yeah, like yeah. just as a local example. Well, that's because there's no physical copy anymore. That, well, that's the point. Exactly. That we're, that's we're right. But <laughs> you still Instagramming from no, last week? No. no. <laughs> but we we lost. Well, what, do you mean, but what do you mean? What do you mean? I think because <laughs> he doesn't know what he means. File sharing is inevitable, right? So what people have done is attached ad advertising to it. So people are going to grab the album or a track and they're going to upload it to YouTube. That's how I watch. That's how I listen to all my music. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't a, go to, you can't go on Pandora or, and, and say what you want to listen to. And I know on Spotify you can, but at least on Pandora you can't. So what I do is when I want to hear a specific track, I just go on YouTube on my phone, yeah, but I have to listen but, to an advertisement first. But then doesn't YouTube have a clickable link so you can go buy the track? Yeah. But who does that? That's that's the whole. I mean, that's I'm just speaking for the general public. That's the problem with the system. That's well, that, why. That, the, that's why they just rolled out uh, Music Key, YouTube Music Key, which just came out this week, actually, mm -hmm. which is part of Google Play All Access. Mm -hmm. So now artists are making money besides advertising. They are making a per stream royalty off of that as well. Um, as long as it, there was like this big thing between the indies and Google. You know, as long as the uh, the label or the artist opted in for it, of course. But yeah, but is it, but is that like are you are you talking about like the people who are it's, it's like loner guy two two seven uploading like a Beatles track and yeah, then but then somebody then they're going to delete that for copyright infringement, but somebody else is going to upload it again. It's always going to be there because there's no way of getting rid of it. That might change. No, there's, there's some of them that are very good at getting it removed. Yeah, it depends on how big of a team you have monitoring that stuff. Yeah, but then that costs money too because you need to have a team and or the bots. Oh. They also have the bots that are looking out for those audio signals. Is that why? Is yeah, and just because listen, YouTube knows that it's there. Yeah, like they pick up on it, and a lot of the times the copyright holder will just say okay because that particular video is getting you know two million views, a ton of views, or whatever. And the way that it works with YouTube is uh, if somebody uploads a song that they don't own the copyright to, they have two choices. They could monetize it through advertising where they get a portion of the advertising, but the majority of it goes to the copyright holder or they just remove it altogether. See, but you hit, <clears throat> excuse me, I, all I've had to drink today is coffee Mountain Dew and Starburst. Um, but you had, you had a thing here a couple of weeks ago where it was like three hours in and like, we still didn't figure out like how to market and sell your music. I mean, we got a which little is not topic. Like, yeah. Mm. But I mean like that usually happens with everybody, but I don't think anybody really knows like the intricacies of like what is involved. Like people like, you know, I think I said during that thing, it was, you know, a lot of the people think like, if you build it, they will come. No, and not it's not, it's not that. And when Lauren talks about like the fact of, you know, there's, there's an industry there that was, you know, basically it was aside from the executives everybody pretty much lost their jobs and a lot of the executives did too because there's no like how much does it cost to hit upload and then how much does it cost to hit download like what's your overhead on that and that, that's a whole nother <clears throat> fight um that artists are dealing with now because they're not getting paid a me mechanical uh, they're not getting the mechanical they're getting a digital stream i forget how it works out but the artist is getting screwed basically whereas the they categorize an, an iTunes download as a, I can't remember, as a license, I think, instead of a mechanical royalty. But It's whatever. a retransmission rather than yeah, a copy. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh -huh. And this brings us back. Was that, but, but is that, was that set up by the powers that be so that they can make more money? Absolutely. Essentially. So how much, so I'm, you know, <clears throat> I think that there's a wealth of talent in this area 
through any any genre of music, any any genre of art, what they want to do. Um, so, at the end of the day, like for for ninety nine cents, I'll you know, and I'll I'll just use uh, who who just really who just did a song down to six song? down to six. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, so if I want to go online and download their new single, and I want to go on U 2s you know, and download their new sig- single. Each one's ninety nine cents. Is U two getting more money than Down to Six? It, it depends. I do. It depends on their their label contract. Where with U two, they're like superstars, so they make a pretty good percentage. Uh, they have a pretty good royalty. Uh, but they're I also mean, guys that make make all their money on touring. Like they'll make seven hundred million dollars on a. Well, tour. that's how most smart artists are starting. That, that's the main revenue stream right now. That it, and, for them is touring live performance and what licensing your your name brand partnerships brand, yeah yeah now do, do most bands on average benefit from having a label at this point or or do you it, see the opposite it depends it depends on the person it's different you know for everybody some artists most of the time artists are creative you know and a lot of the times people that are creative aren't necessarily good at um business accounting and yeah. business and things like that so but sometimes there are. Sometimes there are artists that are very creative musically and they're very good at business. Um, I think it's very that it's rare that that combination of business acumen and, and it's rare. incredible creativity is you know Definitely. that's rare. You're either one or the other. Yeah, but at the same time, you can only go to a certain point independent, which is still you can still be very successful, but you can't be at U two status independent you know you're just not that's i not mean gonna but, happen. but can you but can you know you know if you do if you do it right it, but i mean all these being like you, you uh, can't you can't unless you have you can't but you can make a very good living you can make a very good living being an artist and being in a band independently absolutely but you're not but without any support from anybody doing it all on your own no way no way that's but that's there, what i'm saying like she's like, like she was saying there's a whole teams of people yeah behind you too there's probably 50 to 100 people working on their marketing working you know t- touring's a whole nother thing although they have a deal with live nation i believe but there's just like this whole team of people behind them to get to that level besides that somebody has to have the money say a world tour that, that, that somebody, somebody's got to put the money million dollars to do right. that you know there's no way unless you're a millionaire, billionaire. Well, you got to pay all the stage guys. You got to pay all the sound guys. You got to pay the light guys. Money, you got to yeah. play the transfo guys. You got to pay. And like, that's what people don't, you know, they, oh, I dropped $70 for this U2 ticket. Yeah. Well, they, they have a, a payroll of 300 people. You know, they have 18 tractor trailers that they got to use to move to the next place. And they have to have a group of people sit up there and then you got to pay for security and everybody like, that's the thing. Like when you hear people complain, like, um, like if you hear like a, if you hear like a, a band complain about playing, I'm, I'm sure you hear this shit all the time. I know I know bar owners that are like, you know, bands just don't get. And you can you can attest to this, Jimmy. Like definitely, how much? I mean, when you were playing with your band, you know, three years ago. Yeah, when I was playing three years ago, I was making three hundred dollars personally a night in a band of five people. Right, and then now. Now, if I can get a hundred dollars, that's a great Wait, night. Three hundred for original music? No, no. for cover music. No. Right. Well, nobody's going to get. The only way here, we had to do, it. what yeah. we had to do is be a cover band and then slip in a couple originals here and there. And that's the trick. That's the trick about locally. You know, I I've seen bands do that all the time, but you got to do like three covers to get to your one original. And then if you play like your one original, and the bar owner, like that's the thing that 
I don't know if people realize that, you know, or, or, or bands in particular, like if you're getting paid for your gig, you're an employee of the venue. So like, you know, bar X is like, Hey, I'm going to pay you 300 bucks to play for tonight, you know, which sucks that the money's come down, you know, but more people don't go out anymore because of the economy. And, you know, there's people that, yeah. And I mean, the, the, this area as a whole has never really been, even though there is tons of great original music, we're not necessarily known for it. So no, I mean, it's, like it's some, a different scene where it's like, right. People want to go to the bar and hear stuff that they know, you know, yeah, that's, that's just the way it is around here. But like that, so how, okay, back to you. Like you have, you have your finger on the pulse of a lot of stuff and, you know, not to say that you're, you know, intimately involved in everything, but you know, you know, you at least can get a feel for what's going on. It's like, what is going on? How do we, fi- how do, how, <laughs> how do we, fix how, how do we, how do we assess the problem? How do we move forward <laughs> knowing what the problem is and how do we capitalize on it? Because, you know, I think that when we were talking about our, the, when you were here a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, an individual group can do whatever they want to do, but collectively everybody together needs to kind of. Exactly. I, I think it's tough too, because there's more competition than there ever was. It feels like there's more people making music now. Uh, I, I, and maybe that's, that's part of the digital age, you know, maybe more people are inspired to do those types of things, but it feels like there's just uh, an influx of that. Whereas, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, there were a lot less bands and a lot less competition to deal with. And now it seems like every other person has been in a band or is in a band or has made music at some point. And that's just music. Never mind all the other types of artists and things out there. You know, like everybody has their own their own art nowadays. And it's the more and more people that I run into, it seems like they're all up to something in some form or another in terms of terms of art. And that, you know, it's a good thing because you have all this creativity going around. But of course, there's only so much money to go around, too. And I, one of the main things that I saw, you know, in, in my profession that I think you see in a lot of other professions is you have people who are willing to do things for nothing or next to nothing. And then that lowers what everyone else is going to get paid or compensated for because people assume, well, if these 10 bands are willing to play for free because they want the quote-unquote exposure, then uh, then w- why should I pay your band any bit of money? And it doesn't matter that you're more professional, that you have better music, that you're tighter, that you know, you've been doing it longer. It does, it, none of that matters. It's just, okay, what's the cheapest thing that I can get in my venue on a Friday night, on a Saturday night? And they're just willing to, to, to sacrifice the quality for you know, something that's cheaper. And then you see... You know, like like Jimmy said, you know, bands that used to get paid a, a decent amount of money are now getting paid next to nothing or, you know, are just being asked to do it just uh, for the exposure of it. And that's that's tough. You know, I, I see it. I see writers, uh, you know, same thing. Is that is, is ease of use now been the thing that, you know, is it is it kind of like the, you know. The ble- it's it's like God and the devil at the same time. I don't know if it's exactly ease of use, but it's following. It's over. If a band has a following, like yeah, but, but but it's this, easier to make a movie right, now. This it's is, easier to make an album. Well, it's, it's easier. Not, well, it's not even that. It's quality, and I think that the music itself isn't going to be what makes the money. It's the show. Hmm. It's your your album is. I think everything is freely given on the internet and it's just an inevitability that it's your music is going to leak or it's going to be shared free and you're not going to get the royalties from it. And if you go back in history, think about Brian Wilson. He had a 500, what was it? 
$500,000 was, a, I don't know, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but I remember it was an astro- astronomical <laughs> amount of money to make pet sounds where the record company was like, enough is enough here. Because I think it $500,000 or a million dollars was something ridiculous. But you figure bands had that much money to play with to create their album. That's not there anymore. You make your money in your live show. And the album is out there just to throw your music around so people will come to your shows. And I think that's what a lot of people are disgusted with with corporate music because you go and you watch somebody lip sync on stage and that's not a performance. They're, well, they're not musicians. Right. They're but they're, they're entertainers. But they're, So you're, they're there for the show. You can't, you can't bootleg a show, a live show experience. I mean, yeah, you can tape it or whatever. But you are, you're using your music. You have to think about the model before. You have to pretend that that didn't even exist because we're in a new age now. You have to start from zero. And I think people are trying to hold on to the old business model where you make money off of your album. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think that's gonna be how it works anymore. That's where we are right now. Right. So weird time. Your music music is given away, and then you attract people to your shows. So So it's 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 back to the thing. And even on a local level. you're gonna, you'll get gigs if you have a following. If you don't have a following, people don't want to deal with you. And that's the blunt reality of it. I've been told that. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean you got to see it from the venue owner side of, side of things as because well. Because they have to keep their bills yeah, like paid, they can't, too. I mean, I can see both sides of the story. Yeah, but that's, but that's, but that's one of the things that's like, you know, you know, being that this is like, you know, hey, maybe we're late to the game on podcasts. We're early to the game on podcasts locally. Think about think about like pet sounds, right? So they had a million dollars to work with to record their album. And think about how many years they were able to make money back on that album. People bought the vinyls, they bought the cassette tapes, they bought the eight tracks. Then when CDs came out, they bought they bought CDs. So you had an album that was released in the sixties and you were making money on that probably till the late nineties. Where now you're gonna make your biggest bang of money in your first week of release probably and after that you're never going to see a resurgence again because if you want the album you can go and download it yeah, but, but at the end of the day like aren't we talking about like i mean at the end of the day none of this is really art like if you're doing this to be an artist prepare to like be broke look at the artists of the past the, most most of them don't even get found until they're dead look at a lot of famous painters or look at a lot of famous writers they did it because it was their art and yeah, it was, but that was afterward. That was a totally different era. Exactly. That, but I'm just we're, saying we're, we're in a we new era where... We connected. Yeah, but, but I mean, just using that, like if you're doing it for, you know, if you're doing art for art's sake without any concept of like, oh, hey, you know, like I, I need to make money, you know, to survive. Well, speaking of, of where you get money from, uh, and you, you uh, Corey, you have an opinion on this, a strong opinion on this, uh, about crowdfunding. Uh, you we, have a strong opinion on this? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. A little bit. I, listen, I think it's a good idea okay. in a certain um, that, but situation. That seems like, but that seems like the, the fall to, like, oh, we'll just crowdfund it. That like, seems, it seems to be like, the next yeah. step now. Yeah. Exactly. It, well, it seems like the first step. Right. It seems like that's that's the go-to. Right? Exactly. You know, let's not worry about selling this after but, or promoting but it. Let's, explain crowdfunding. Is, is that smart when you might not have enough of a, of a following to support something like no. that? Explain crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is like any Kickstarter. Any and, and Just anybody. Like I think it needs to be said. Oh, well, it's it, it's Indiegogo. It's Kickstarter. It's it's basically you you know you say hey we need this amount of money to do X. Okay. And if you do that, then we give you perks and or whatever. People right. People are more or less paying in advance for something as opposed because to paying after you. the right. product. Yeah. Okay. Right. Which is mostly like always like friends and relatives. 
Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Sure. Like, well, and I, it's not, it's not to knock it, you know, right. It it's seems the like people some, that are closest to you. Right. But that's who's going to give you the money. Do you think for the average artist, does that make sense? No, no. I mean, that sometimes it does. Um, but I, most this, of the time, what is that not a good idea? No, because you gotta, you gotta think about it. You're asking people to give you money. Okay. People are getting hit with music constantly, constantly. Hey, check out my, you know, uh, I just recorded an album. Check this out. They're, right. they're getting hit constantly. Now, all of a sudden, you're asking people to put money up up front before there's even a product. Mm. So, along with all of that going on, now they have you asking them for money before you even recorded anything. Or right. maybe you have a demo or something. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not going to work unless you have the following. Unless you have the people that already know you as an artist. Or maybe it's some kind of special cause or something that people can relate to. But I think a lot of times artists think that they're just going to get that money from Kickstarter. And it's almost like, it's almost like false hopes. Like I, I feel like uh, the, the media, because uh, they, they kind of overblow a lot of those stories that you see so many of them that you assume that they're all successful. Right. And I think you just, you, you hear about the successful ones, but there's but you hundreds don't hear about the four million that, that didn't yeah, that get just, their money. That just fail. You'd yeah. be surprised. You'd be surprised how many, like the numbers, like 95%, I think don't get funded Mm. it's a crazy number like this just happened to me today um an artist management sent us an email talking about this saying hey you know why don't we crowdfund yeah yeah and and we basically replied saying eh that's just a bad idea and also what's going to happen when you're asking for 10 grand and people go to your page and they see that you made a hundred dollars they're you not gonna yeah, 50 they, bucks. You just hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, it's mm-hmm. like, why even try to do it unless you think there's a good chance of it actually happening? There's one happening right now from, <coughs> excuse me, there's one happening right now from a uh, EDM artist named BT. And what he wants to do is take, he's been around for a while, 20 years. He's been around a long time. People know him. Yeah. Yeah. And so he has this pretty big back catalog. And what he's always wanted to do was recreate it with an orchestra, uh-huh. like a full orchestra, like, but that cost tons of money. So he did, I think his is on Pledge Music or something, but he, he's in the middle of it right now, crowdfunding it, and it's doing astronomically well. And, and that's because he's built the fan base, and now crowdfunding is a time. platform. Oh, yeah, 20 yeah. years. He's been around a long time. And so now crowdfunding gives him the opportunity to do something that he wouldn't normally be able to do, where the labels are like, no way, I mean, we're not going to. Yeah, but no, no way. Yeah, but they're not going to be willing to be like, BT, right? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I don't want to you can, you can get that one wrong. You can thank BT for all the Tiestos, the Paul Van Dykes, Paul Oakenfolds, like all those guys. Everybody so now he, today. So he goes, okay, I've done this. I want to try something totally new. And outside the realm of, of something that I'm comfortable with, which is, you know, let's get the Philharmonic to do EDM music. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> kind of. Which I, you know, sight unseen, I would give money to that, but that's that's just me. Yeah, and yeah it, but I'm not going to give him 50 bucks for it. But at the same time, there's been people with crazier ideas and they've fallen flat on their face. Yeah. So well, I mean, you but just, to, but just like, it comes you know, down to having the fan base. It really does. Well, but, but not only that, I mean, it's, you know, if we, if we look at the, if we, if we, if we look, <laughs> take two, if we look at the totality of entertainment as a business, right? Everything that they do is a gamble. 
You know, it, it, it's an educated gamble. It's, it's, it's based on experience. Right. But that's what it is. And nobody really, you know, like how many films, you know, are they like, uh, like we're going to do a new X-Men because we know it's going to make, you know, at least $400 million or $500 million. You know, even if it's shitty, we're going to make, you know, $130 million opening weekend. And just out of curiosity, people are going to get, and we're, we're going to hit the budget. So we're not going to lose money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like those are like creative gamble. They're not even like gambles. They're like educated gambles. Well, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Amanda Palmer. Uh, she yeah, was, why have I heard? <laughs> she she was uh, part of a group called the Dresden Dolls. Yeah, and yes. now she does her own solo work. Right. Uh, she's married to Neil Gaiman now, which I think uh, the comic book guy. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Which Same I think name. increased her exposure quite a bit. But she already she had this this really big kind of cult fan base built up for many many years. And so she just did. She just did a book about. Uh, I think it's called the art of giving or something like that. The it's art of asking. The art of asking. That's what it is. You and are like the. You are like the internet without having to Google anything. <laughs> That's why I love you. <laughs> it's the art of asking, Rich. She, well, she did. She did a really great um, uh, editorial article recently, and she, it was kind of more or less a, a, a summary of what she's doing and uh, what she talked about in her book. And she also did a TED talk about it she too. Did. That was very, very interesting. Um, You're all about TED talks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she she uh, had said for years, you know, whether she was a, a, a street performer or a musician, she's always kind of you know asked the audience to go along with her and to support her, and and they always have in some way or another. And then uh, once she became you know successful to the point where uh, you know she was doing what obviously 95% of artists can't do then all of a sudden um she she had some bad articles written about her and and some people uh who obviously were not familiar with her work in the past or familiar uh with her fan base at all um were criticizing her basically saying that you know she's the epitome of these people who are just asking for handouts that essentially you know artists should be working hard on their own to make the money and build it up just like everybody else did. And, you know, just to, to go and ask people for money is basically begging and stuff like that. And, you know, she has a, a, a very unique, different take on that and a different uh, uh, look on that whole thing. And it's explained very well in this editorial, which, uh, you know, you can, I, I, I think I read it on LinkedIn, uh, but it's, you know, it's many other places as well. See, what I, I take umbrage with um, a buddy of mine just did a, a, uh, uh, an experimental, I guess you can air quote it, uh, feature locally hmm. called Susquehanna. It's, 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 it's neat. The concept is, is hey, we're going to shoot it on VHS tape and blah, blah, blah. So he, um, you know, he did a Kickstarter, you know, it's because, because you're, you know, you're, you're like, what am I going to do? You know, like mm-hmm. I, I can't really find investors and, you know, and see if people are interested. He made, you know, you know, they made their goal. And the thing is, is like, I posted it one day, you know, cause he's a fan or he's a friend and he's a fan. Probably hates my guts, but whatever. It's a real nice guy. But so I posted it one day saying, Hey, you know, my buddy did this, you know, why don't you give it a look? And I'm not like demanding people give it money. I'm like, just give it a look. If you, if you're interested, you know, give a nickel. If you're not go back to, you know, the Huffington Post. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, so but then this guy writes like whom whom has never commented on anything that I've ever done. He he wrote something and I'm and I'm paraphrasing. It's like, you know, why don't you go out and work for your money instead of asking for like instead of having other people do it for you and blah blah blah. And I and it, and I really took um, 
I really took offense to that because anybody who wants to start a business, anybody who wants to do anything, you know, if you're going to make the widget company, like you got to get investors in your widget company, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and you're either going to a bank or you're finding a private financier or you're doing whatever you're doing. So like, I don't really, I don't really have a problem with the crowdfunding, you know, but I, I find it really funny that pe- everybody who's like, you know, stop begging, stop, whatever, like, dude, you, whatever you're doing right now, like, even if you like, you're an internet tough guy and that's totally cool. But, <laughs> but like, you probably had to ask for a job. Mm. You probably had to beg, like, 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 you know, like you went for a job interview. That's basically going like, Hey, I need a job. And in particular in creating film, television and music, it's not like you can just write a perspective a prospectus go to a bank and say this is my marketing plan and this is how much I'm going to make in the first quarter of my first year (laughs) no it it doesn't happen like that it's not the same model as doing a startup business you know I I find that a lot of people uh, I think on average the average person has a small amount of expendable income that they would set aside for entertainment or they feel like okay I can spend a couple bucks every week on a DVD or a CD or something you know whether you know, a couple bucks to go to the bar, or, you know, to go to a show. Th- that's or how tickets. I justify it. I'm like, I'm not drinking so that, you know, yeah, 100 bucks a night is now I can get, you know, to, to I, I've always, Yay. whereas, you know, I, I definitely see what, what, what Corey is saying. I like the, just the idea that crowdfunding can exist because uh, I like the idea of putting something into something that I actually w- would like to see or care about because the number one thing, you know, I used to, I used to be a manager at a video store and you hear people go in and they Breaking walk into the industry, man. Yeah, they, they would walk the wall and go, you know, there's nothing good here. And, and then they would slap money down every and it'd be the same people every single week, week after week would buy stuff that they knew they wouldn't in, they wouldn't like. They blatantly would say, I'm not going to like this movie, but there's nothing else. So I'm going to put money down on that. I feel like it's, it's you're just throwing money away in, in just huge chunks because that adds up so quick that, I mean, you're talking about hundreds of dollars now, thousands of dollars a year that you're just throwing away at stuff that you honestly don't enjoy or you th- or you blatantly <laughs> say is mediocre. Every movie this, this guy does is mediocre, but I'm going to rent this one and this time it's going to be different. And then they come back with the which same is, result. Which, which is an awesome, interesting psychological conundrum right. of like... So to me, like, like I like, uh, like I, I, a random person, a friend of a friend was doing a, a graphic novel Kickstarter and I just liked the concept of it. And I'm like, you know what, instead of buying, you know, this book or, or, or this movie or something like that this week, I'm just going to throw money at that. This was almost a year ago and the book is just being printed now. It's just coming out because that stuff takes forever. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they were just, you know, the, the, uh, the, the writing was done, but the art wasn't done yet. And now the art's all finished. They're putting it together as a hardcover. It was it was successful uh, to the point where they were able to make it into a hardcover, which was really nice. So, um, and then that'll be shipped within the next couple of weeks, and I'll get that. And so the payoff took a long time, which I think is what most people don't like about it is that that you're not probably going to get something instantly, or you get these little treats like, oh, here's a T-shirt, or here's a this or that, and it's like that's great, but donate to my store, I'll send you a bag of Skittles. Yeah, I feel like maybe the artist should have something done already, and then maybe come for some extra funding or something like that, something that you can actually you know see and hold beforehand. I I mean, looking looking at the model of of crowd crowdsourcing like would it would it be more beneficial to instead of like hey man help us make our album would it be more beneficial to be like hey help us do the mix Mm. like more specific than than having it be 
Yeah, but then that kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, they'll get a little bit of money, but, but I mean, the whole point of doing the Kickstarter but, but, in the first place but, 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 is to but, fund everything. But psychologically, isn't it more like, you know, people, investors so. can see the finish line? I don't think so. I, I think it, psychologically, a person that goes there knows immediately whether or not they're going to actually contribute to it. I have but never whether once. consciously or not. Right. I have know. never once invested in anybody's Kickstarter or Indiegogo unless I knew them. You know what I mean? Well, like, and that's the other thing too. It's like it's it's the same thing as selling a product. Like you need to appeal to the people in one way or another. Um, like that graphic novel appealed to Rich, or like um, causes always do well on Kickstarter because like breast cancer or something like that. You might have someone that had cancer. They profits on there. They, yeah. they do all oh, kinds really? of things on that. Mm-hmm. But you got to realize though that it's just a product, just like anything else that you're doing. It needs to be marketed and it needs to be promoted. Uh, the most successful Kickstarter campaigns are ones that have like full blown, you know, strategies behind them. Maybe not full blown, but they they have very coordinated a really good roadmap of where they want to yeah, go. Yeah, it's very coordinated, and there's tons of information. They make a video. There's so much explanation. There's a list of expenses. There's like everything's there, you know. So that that kind of when people see that, they're a little bit more enticed to uh, contribute. Sure. But and, and I just think it gives artists like false hope. Like I feel mm. like they they almost feel like oh this this is gonna work and then ninety five percent of the time it doesn't. Well, I mean I mean well here's you know let's 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 toss in you know somebody's got to play devil's advocate. Is it is it is it false hope or is it like naive? <laughs> Maybe it is naive. Maybe it is to be like hey you got to realize. Well, because yeah, everybody well, in their mind wants to think that they're a superstar. Well, and it's tough though too because it's it's hard to differentiate, especially with music. It's hard to differ- differentiate it from a typical product. But you you have to think that way as an artist, and it sucks because it's hard to do that because that's your music. That's what you put emotion into. You you were up twenty four seven writing this song or making this film or whatever it is. So it's hard to separate that. But in order to actually be successful, you have to separate that. Because it's a product, just like anything else, and it's a business. It's a music business. Now, with uh, I, I want to make sure we touch on film a little bit more too. Uh, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> how do you how do you look at it in terms of uh, you, you know you have things like Netflix now, uh, where you have not only uh, you know streaming but original programming and stuff being put on there too. Um, you know, HBO is changing their model. We were just talking about that before uh, the uh, the show started. Um, you have uh, people just putting stuff right out on the internet, and you know, sometimes uh, filmmakers will make a short film, put it on YouTube, and get discovered. And then next thing you know, they're making a a, a blockbuster feature. You know, there's there's all kinds of that whole market has changed too. I mean. It has, but it has, but it has, and I think Corey, you were, you were the one who kind of said to me, you know, when I was like, "Hey, Taylor Swift took her money, her, her music off Spotify. She's brilliant," and you're like, "Yeah, but film's been doing that for a real long time." What, what did you call that? It, it's called windowing. Window. So you only allow certain things at certain times. Yeah, just like with a film, it's only in theaters, right? And, yeah. Um, mm. The 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 interesting thing about um, film is that you know, if if Okay, if if you want if you want to compare the film experience to like music, right? You know, a record, you know, probably has more heart and soul in it than an MP3. You know, what I mean, so like an experience of like listening to a record play. 
I mean, you can agree or disagree. Right. Well, and it comes with artwork and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's more of a tangible, you know, it, it's, it's more of a spiritual experience, you know, than, than to have an MP3. Because what, when you do an MP3, you lose 90% of what was because of compression? Well, I mean, not really anymore, especially with Apple's quality. They have lossless codecs now and things like that. So they keep it? It's it's pretty true, especially FLAC files. Um, They're just, uh, it's just so a better the, use of memory. The, what anybody who makes a film, their goal is to get it in a theater. You know, that's ultimately the goal because if you get into theaters, more people get to see it. If more people get it, it, it's a prestige thing. If you get it into theaters, you know, like that's how you're eligible for an Oscar. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not like, like even that's the standard. You can make an awesome movie, not be in theaters and not be eligible for an Oscar because you never, which that's pretty corporate anymore anyways. And it's always like, it's a popularity contest. So like, to win an Oscar is almost like, mm, okay. Um, the, the, the new distribution models, such as like, you know, Netflix, Hulu, um, YouTube does it, you know, you can pay on YouTube and watch a movie. Um, Hulu, um, Vimeo is doing it now. Um, there's a couple other websites now that are offering. So basically like you upload your movie and then you just, that's how you do it. Is there something lost in the art, in your opinion? Uh, do, you, do you think it, it, do you feel like if you no, were to I make think, a film, think, do you want people to see it in the theater only? Well, yeah. I mean, but that's the same thing as like if you make an album, like you mm. want as many people to listen to your album, you sure. know? And, and if more people get to see, like if somebody said to me, like, um, you know, and listen, I, at, at most I'd call myself like a blue collar filmmaker. I'm not like an auteur or, you know, like anybody like David Fincher or Scorsese or, or whatever. But, um, if you said to me, Hey, you know, we'll get you into three theaters or you can go on Netflix and more people have access to it. We don't necessarily know if they're going to watch it, mm. but if more people have access to it, I'd probably go with like the most access. Even though, like, you know, if you consider it selling out or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, and the weird thing about how movies are being are, are made is, like, you have to find investors and, and people who are going to fund it, especially in the independent world. Like, you find, like, you know, you call up your dentist and you say, hey, do you have, like, you know, you have 250 grand kicking around that <laughs> you can give me so we can have, like, a helicopter shot that you probably don't need, but it's just really cool. And you would just want to do like, that would be me. Like I I'd do a whole movie of explosions and helicopter shots. Um, cause I have no creativity. Um, but you know, I just got done working on a movie. It's, um, and it's a drama. Like it's a really intense movie, but it has a, it has a built in audience that I think, you know, people are, are going to be interested in seeing it and, and it's, and it's, and it's relevant and it's timely. And, you know, there was not a lot of money there to do that. And what, and, and what we pulled off, you know, especially in like the first phone call to be in production, shooting the damn thing in, in less than three weeks and then done with production in 12 days. And then you're moving into post. Like that's like unheard of. Like you don't do that. So I'm going to really like, nothing in my life has ever been, you know, the typical route. It's always like, it's always like the path of most resistance. Like that's what I choose. How um, are people going to be able to, to get that movie when, once it comes out, what is the plan for it? That's the thing. It's like, you don't, you got to go. First of all, your product has to be completed, mm. you know? So you have to do the edit, you have to do the sound mix, you have to do the color. Um, 
You know, there's also things like people don't realize is like, oh, we have to do all the subtitles for, you know, sub Eurasia, <laughs> you know, so like that stuff that's got to get done. If you have to do um, different audio tracks, so you have to have a stereo mix, 5.1, 7.1. You know, those are all the things because you're building it into the package. It's like here, we're like, this is what they want. Anybody who's and, and there's totally like umpteen hundred numbers of distribution and film production things and blah, blah, blah. We're willing to, to pay for it, but it's going to cost, you know, they want to have everything. They, they want to have like, give us the whole car and we're going to buy that whole car off of you. And then we're just <laughs> going to reproduce it. Like that's what they want to do. And with declining ticket sales in the movie theaters, it's kind, we're kind of seeing I the same. Know, sort of declining. No, they're, they're, the film industry is still doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got I got I got to argue with overall, you. Overall, overall the the film industry's doing but, fine. But here's but but the film industry's always going to tell you because they're owned by like GE and they're owned by all these big companies. Like the film industry's going to tell you like we we always operate at a loss. You know, that's what they do. Even though when you're looking at the box office, you're like, "Oh, they only made, you know, 9.7 million dollars this year and not 9.8 so the, the film industry is down. Like it's, it's not down. Like everything that you look at as peaks and valleys, no matter what you do, it's not on a constant rise. But those are the major films with major distribution. Yeah. Those are just the, the, the big five. Like that's who you're going through, you know, and, but they're the ones who, who account for, you know, all that money. Right. Now you take, now you take like the little straight to DVDs or straight to Blu-rays or the, the VODs or, or, or whatever. Like that's a whole sub market that nobody really keeps track of to know, how much money did that account for? But if you look at Netflix, you know, which most of us I'm assuming have, like there are times when you're on Netflix and you're like, there's nothing interesting that I want to watch. And there's thousands of films. Like the market is getting saturated. Like nobody's doing anything unique, you know, except for the few people who like, you know, Alfonso Cuaron could not have made Children of Men if he did not make Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Because they're like, oh, you made us $600 million. Sure, we'll fund your $50 million movie with a 17-minute shot that never cuts. You know what I mean? But that's what you do. It's, it's the whole, like, going back to the Ben Affleck thing. It's like, you know, I do two for them. I do one for me. Mm. And that guy's got two Oscars. So with, And with, most people hate him. <laughs> With all these options, uh, do you feel like it's easier or harder for independent filmmakers now? I think I think it's getting incredibly harder. Mm. I think it's getting incredibly easier to make stuff. I think it's getting incredibly harder to get it out there. That that's the key. I think. I think people yeah. because they think, uh, oh, it's the digital age, and you know you can make a movie on your phone if you really want to, if you have a really good phone. I mean, I mean, but. You getting it out to people is a different story. Yeah, that's why that's why marketing is so important. Mm-hmm. Like I swear to God, like a few years ago, I had like this epiphany, and I sound like a dork. But did you fall off your toilet? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> you dreamt of the flux capacitor. I was capacitor. in the bathroom and I dreamt up uh, a time machine. No, but um, <laughs> no, but I, like, re- I realized it maybe four or five years ago how important it is. You know, that's at its core, marketing is creating awareness. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of other branches to it, but essentially it's creating awareness for a product, for a cause, for whatever. So that's why it doesn't, you know. But you have to do it in a way where it's smart and not a way where it's, you know what I mean? This comes back to the issue you were talking about earlier, where the bar owner is looking for the cheapest option to fill its venue just to get 
people in the door to listen to music. You choose the ubiquity of this problem goes across all media. And specifically in marketing, a lot of people assume that if they just go in and throw some marketing at a problem without a plan, without creating a plan first, and then B, following that plan throughout the entirety of that marketing campaign, that it's going to stick and it's going to do anything. You have to know where you want to end up in order to actually follow a path to it. You can't Mm -hmm. just say, oh, I'm marketing and then just see what sticks. Right. You have to have a goal in mind no matter what you do. And I think, too, when something is successful, uh, people don't understand that it's because of all of the, the peripheral marketing that they've they've been exposed to. You know, they don't they. Oh, have you heard of this new movie? Well, yes, because the commercials are here. It played in front of every YouTube video I watched today. It came through my Facebook feed. That's why I've heard of it. You know, not just because you're you know, so in tune, unless you're one of those people that's specifically all about film or you're all about music or whatever, and you're following that all the time specifically, uh, you're trying to reach the general populace. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's where the real money is. So you can't rely on the niche people unless you do something that's very, very, very niche. And, and, and let me, let me, let me come at this from a business owner's perspective. Um, you know, I, I have a product. Okay. Um, I don't have the best product. I don't have the worst product, but I know that I can, I, I, I can do what I set out to do. And I know that I'm not going to be ashamed, embarrassed, or felt, feel foolish about what I do. Um, you know, from project to project, it's not, you, you, nobody's going to ever offer you, you know, the Godfather, you know, you're not, that's what you're not doing. Somebody's going to give you, you're working for somebody else a lot of the times, and they're going to give you here's what their grand idea is. And, and whether or not you believe it or not, or whether or not you agree with it or not, you do it to the best of your ability. And, you know, the thing is, is like, we're, we here um, at my place of work are, you know, we have going back to like the bands and everything like that. We have overhead. We have costs associated with everything that we do. Um, so a lot of people come to me and they say, Hey, how much is a video? I can't tell you that because I don't know what we're doing. You know, just like an album. It's like, you know, if you try to go to, you know, Jimmy, it's, it's a lot easier to record an oboe than it is, you know, daddy (laughs) on the sax maniacs. Right. (laughs) A 10 piece band. Right. Right. You know, it still might be the same, but it's all what goes into it. And, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, we, you know, we get offered, you know, bids that we, we send out. And there's a lot of the times like we don't, we don't get them and we don't, and, and, and it's not because it's not, you know, we don't, we don't do good work. I think, I think a lot of the times it comes down to dollar value. Like we have, we have more overhead and expenses than most people do. And it, and, it, and it's not, and it's not through like, you know, foolish business planning. It's just, you know, like we want to do bigger, better things. You know, we want to, we want the wow factor. We want the thing that's going to make you come back. Well, you have a studio that can offer those things. You know, some of these people are like, yeah, I'm a, you know, recording engineer. I'm this and that. And they don't have maybe the equipment or the studio for it. So, of course, it's going to be cheaper because there's not as much overhead. Yeah. But so so going in, coming at it from a from a from a business side, Mm. it's very it's it's very difficult for everybody to exist unless everybody is kind of like on the same playing field. So, you know. I, like every now and again, we'll do, we'll do wedding videos and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like they're great. And, you know, we get to make a nice story out of it, but you know, I'm never going to beat, you know, the, the, the nephew who will do it for like $200. Right. 
Like right. that, that's right. never going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? And, and do you fret about that? Like, yeah, sometimes you're like, ah, oh, damn it. I, I really wanted to do that one, mm-hmm. but they just don't have the money to do it. And it happens all the time. Like, you know, we, we lose, we lose bids where, you know, like, okay. So I, like I, we did a bid a couple weeks ago and you know, somebody came, somebody else came in that was like half the price of us. And I can't, I'm never going to beat that. Like, that's not going to happen. Like we have, we have, what are they called? Hot costs. Like it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like these are the, these are the costs that can never change. Something like that. And maybe I said it wrong, but you know, who knows? I never went to business school, but um, we have, we have things that we can't change. And if we change them, what's the point of making money? If you can't make the bills. Right. You know what I mean? Like I could do it for, you know, 40 cents an hour theoretically, but I could do that for about three weeks and then I'm all of this is gone. But, you know, as we were saying, marketing is so important that if and I'm just as a look, you know, I would love to market more. <laughs> I would love to, you know, get my name out there more and I would love to do all those things. It's just like at some point you have to realize that you're a human being. Well, I'm talking about the the customers themselves. They need to realize that if they want to market their product and they want to market something well, you need something that's high quality. It's going to stand out from what everybody else is doing. If you have, yeah, we try, man. You know, if you have all the nephews doing it for a hundred or two hundred bucks in the world, then but, you're going to get a lot of really mediocre stuff that's just going to yes. blend in with everything else. But at the end on. of the day, right? The, two things. Number one, no one's ever going to deny that. Uh, Ruth Chris steak is going to be better than the steak and egg bagel from McDonald's. The steak's always going to be better at Ruth Chris. And you get what you pay for. Yeah, but that, that's two different markets. So that, it, I'm, it's I'm, like, I'm, but it is it? Yeah, it is. That's, that's two totally different audiences. Completely. Steak. I'm talking about quality of steak. I know. I know. And price. But that's, that's two totally different audiences. But, uh, I think okay, 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 no, no, no. I understand what you mean. Metaphor. Right, right. Okay. I think that's what you're, you're, you're getting at. Well, I never said I was good at metaphors. <laughs> I never claimed. I was always the guy who was like, well, you know, you can't have ice cream if you well, know your dog is home. It comes down to if a business doesn't recognize that they're going to McDonald's for their commercial, <laughs> then that's their problem. But, right. but, but the climate now is like where a lot of them can only go to McDonald's. But it, it's exactly. You know, so that's why... So that's why people are are pirating music. That's why people are pirating movies. That's why, you know, hey, I want to own this, but I can't pay for it. That's why a lot of things are being sidestepped and, and they're the choosing the cheaper option in order to fix whatever problem it is. And the interesting thing is, is when I downloaded my first album illegally, when Napster was around, mm-hmm. I felt really bad about it. <laughs> well, good. And now... I don't feel that bad about it <laughs> because mostly I'm downloading stuff that I would never buy anyways, but I'm downloading it. Cause it's like, man, I really like Miley Cyrus's party in the USA. <laughs> See, that's, that's where I don't understand like why anybody would even do it now. I mean, you can, there's things like Spotify, even Jimmy said it before YouTube, like I, my, you my even... iTunes, my iTunes. If you look at my iTunes, I've spent thousands of dollars. I don't know iTunes. you bought the IU record. I remember that. That's because you said it was good. And, I, and you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'd find out real quick if you were lying to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I bought his album and I, li- I bought both those albums. You did? And I liked them. You did. Thank you. You know? He thanked you. 
But I didn't know. But I didn't know if that was helping you out. I thought he was just a buddy. You're just like, hey, you know, this is this is this is my buddy. You did you know this great stuff, and you played me the one tune, and I was I like, I like this. Yeah, I don't even remember what. I just yeah. remember you bought it. I don't you remember. bought it right in front of you. Yeah, I, I don't remember why. I don't remember <laughs> anything other than you buying it. <laughs> so thank we were, you. Yeah, we were all just, we were all hopped up on everyone on you espresso. know entertainment. Thanks you. <laughs> Now, now, uh, Lauren, the whole reason that this whole thing came up in the first place is uh, on, on a, 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 a paper that you did, and uh, so so maybe to to wrap everything up uh, within, you know, we're we're a little over an hour now, but uh, we wanted to kind of keep it within that amount of time. If you could expand upon that just a little bit, you know, and wh- why this even came up in the first place, what okay. we're talking about. I'll, I'll just say the title of my paper real quick. Sure. Analysis of Voss Channel Distribution for Network Television and the Implications of the Evolving Digital Landscape. It's 70 pages if anybody wants to read it. Um, Holy shit. <laughs> uh, basically, is I... Is there I, a Cliff's Notes version of it? No, there, this is actually... There's, this is the Cliff's Notes version. This is, right? this is <laughs> actually the Cliff Notes version. Uh, there are longer versions of the research that I did uh, over the course shit. of this year for, uh, for this paper. I wrote it in... Uh, 2011, I believe, was the uh, publishing date. I was very interested. I still am. I'm very interested in the possibilities of network television owning their content off channel, which means you watch television, you appointment view for a certain period of time in your life. You watch at nine o'clock the show on X channel. That is no longer necessarily the case. First, the retransmission happened where you could DVR it. You could watch it later on at like 10 o'clock when you get home. Maybe you were running late from dinner. Watch your show at 10. No problem. Then things started, ball, uh, the ball started rolling where you would watch it off the channel entirely on a different device. So it started with the, with the pirating. And then the technology started to catch up where the networks and more to the point, the utility companies were starting to say, hey, wait a minute. We have to get ahead of this because right now we're losing money on the fact that people are, can get this for free without our control. And what unfortunately happened in the, in the scope of television is the utility companies, the ISPs, the, the companies that broadcast the content to you took control over the monetary situation of the retransmissions of those network television shows. So the video on demand specifically. And like on Comcast, like on demand Com- on Comcast. Comcast is on NBC Universal. Which yeah, is like, bought it, yeah. Yeah. Well, this no. was they've, they've okay. had it for a little bit. This is a uh, exactly the point, but uh, they were owning the content of the actual content producers, and the content producers weren't necessarily getting a dime of it because of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Uh, uh, relegated that type of retransmission to a non-transferable copyright situation where it wasn't the fact that they were copying it, they were just retransmitting it later. So that little distinction because of that specific law, which was directly out of the, um, the Telecommunications Act of 1996, is the major problem for what we're seeing a lot of this digital uh, retransmission situation mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier. Yep. So it's that specific law that we can trace a lot of our problems back to. We've seen a lot of court cases in the last two, three years where we're trying to reverse that sort of thing and get the content owners, copyright holders back in the driver's seat, back in control of what their content is. Now, specifically in the terms of uh, television itself, our biggest proponent 
And the biggest success story that uh, we can see tangibly right now is HBO. Um, now, this is a weird example because they're not network. They're a, they're a subscription channel. But fortunately, what they've been able to do is spearhead the technology to allow them to stream all of their content on a dedicated application, on a mobile device, on your Xbox, on whatever you're trying to see. And what you've seen in the past two years, six months to two years, other networks are starting to get control of that. Mm. Lawsuit after lawsuit, cable networks have been getting control back over their content and being able to control the apps where they can control the advertisement channel, which they were not allowed to do up until this point. So it's an interesting shift that we're experiencing right now where there's new, there's new models where we can actually allow the content producers to at least advertise to us directly instead of going through <laughs> Comcast, going through Cablevision, going through five, yeah, but, but, whoever but, it is. But, you know, so on the Xbox One, you have Stars Play, Showtime. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Showtime's on mm -mm. there. Um, HBO Go just came on, yep. Hulu Plus, Netflix, but but the only thing that these people are advertising is themselves. Now, Net, don't forget Netflix and Hulu are essentially third party. Hulu is owned right, by right, the right. four. But no, no, but no. So let me, let me rephrase that. Like right. HBO stars, like, yeah. like you're going to see ads for their shows yes. on there. So they're only advertising themselves. They're not beholden to like Huggies or no, but, Colgate. But specifically the CW's app, they can sell advertising directly to you. Through the CW comedy app. Comedy Central, and you, too. Yeah, comedy. Mm, you can yeah. only watch Comedy Central shows you on that app. You can only watch uh, CW shows on that app. There's some but what, channels. But so but their, their advertising is channel-specific? Yes. Okay. Because it is, is a channel-specific right. app. It's, so or now, it's a content umbrella. So that, depending on the network, depending on the, the content owner. So they're, they're, they're now trying to take control of the content. <clears throat> yes. And in turn, the more people who get the app... The more revenue they get. Exactly. Because what you see, what you see in a network television situation is a sales department is selling, they're flighting the commercials that are appropriate for the show. And they're and when you're watching the show during appointment viewing, you're stuck with the commercials that you have. In DVR, you can kind of skip some, but you you see them anyway. You, you skim a couple of them. Once the once the ISP takes control of it, they lay on their own advertising and they make the money towards them and cut the 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 content producer completely out of that cycle. Hmm. So that was, the, that was the problem. That was the reason why I had to get into this situation. The reason why I had to break out my, my spiral bound, hard covered. <laughs> I have the nice find it edition page. somewhere, but I didn't, I didn't have time to go find it. So I had to print it out. See, that's, that's why like, I always look to you for stuff that like, I need to understand. And then you have to, <laughs> and then you, and then, and then you have to In find, general. yeah. And then you have Why to find a way to like preschool it back to me. Now I have a I have a long list of recent court cases that I started looking into since we just started deciding to look into this. And I and I have to actually catch up a little bit because in the past few months I've been a little bit lax and finding can you myself. Believe like she's like upset at herself that she's not keeping up on the court cases. Um, I'm I'm ashamed of you. I am so ashamed. Well, I last and Jimmy and I are like, did you see Sonic Highway last night? <laughs> <laughs> last night you've heard they of the Oh yeah, I just downloaded it. I'll let you copy the file. <laughs> <laughs> so you can watch it on your laptop too. <laughs> And completely bypass the channel. I was kind While of laying on uh, your lap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. So Ariel was the most recent court case that kind of went to fruition, and that was that was settled, I think, on June twenty fifth of twenty fourteen. Ariel. Ariel. 
it was uh, a case brought up by several broadcasting networks. I know this is kind of on the other side of the situation because they were trans retransmit retransmitting the signals of broadcast systems because the broadcast systems were retransmitting signals of their content producers, but they were taking that signal and then resending it digitally to uh, viewers who couldn't access the, the cable box essentially. And that was deemed to be uh, illegal according to the 1992 cable television consumer protection and competition act, because they became a direct competitor with the utility. And this is, this goes back to the whole problem of deeming the Telecommunications Act of uh, 1996 the, and the barrier to entry for any player to enter the market and be a competing player as uh, is open the door to is, this is whole the, mess. Is, is, is the problem that, and, and you know, this might go for music and everything. I know you guys are like looking forward to wrapping it up. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the problem that like the technology grew factor, yes. faster than the legislation could Absolutely. even figure out Absolutely. Like, what the hell it Absolutely. meant? Yep. No and that's, oh, that's historically been the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's historically been the case since the, like, so. Since the inception to, of technology. The, we don't have to blame this all on Obama. <laughs> this could, we, we this can could go be back blamed to the, on the internet to the, or Al Gore. Look back to the Gutenberg press. The printing press caused issues in, in legal terms. What, how, what do you mean? The, the entire it's political. It's always been technology. It's always been technology. Always. It caused such an upheaval in the political circles of medieval Europe, the fact to that figure this, out like what was like ownership and not necessarily in terms of owner. Well, yes, actually in terms well, of ownership it, it, <laughs> on the music side, I wrote about this a few weeks ago on the music yeah. side. It was uh, the early or the late 1800s. Right. And there were all these, uh, the, the shows that went around that traveled around and, and played music and, you know, dance or whatever. And, they would sell the sheet music to these shows, right? So that's that was basically simplified version, but that's how publishing was created and publishing mm-hmm. companies started. And so that all these people are making money off of this sheet music. Then they invented a thing called the piano roll, new technology, where all you had to do was go buy this roll and put it in your piano. Of and course, you need the song. piano, and it would play the song. Yeah. So when that happened. A bunch of people freaked out. They're like, "Oh my god, what are we gonna do? It's over." In this case, it's music. Music industry's done. Like we're 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 <laughs> all broke. music is it's now over. dead. Literally, that's a piano roll. Literally, yeah. that's what happened. Everybody freaked out, and it took them a little bit. In this case, it wasn't necessarily law, but it was technology that that kind of shook everything up, and it took a little bit for the publishers to catch up and realize it's not over. It's not. This you know. particular case was actually the 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 thing that led to the mechanical license in yeah. copyright law. Yeah. That's the exactly, exactly why we have that. That's because why it's called it was mechanical. mechanical. No, exactly it's why. A, no, the sheet music's mechanical. No, but, but the, me, the, no, the thing, the, no. the, mecha- the mechanical copyrights, it refers to the actual sheet music really. So when you mechanically reproduce something that is set in paper, when you copyright a piece of paper that has your music in, in, sheet music in, in notes or notation and instruction. That is your mechanical license. That's you can reproduce that. Mechanical the root of mechanical came from, from back that. then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So it's always been technology yeah. and, and they've always been a little behind. Kind of, yeah. Behind the curve. But, but you know, being creatures of history and learning from history and, and, and seeing trends and shit happen and all that stuff. Like where, where does, where it is, what goes next? Well, the the thing that I I, I the collective I, shrug. 
the things that I enjoyed about uh, Corey's column, which uh, it, it, it appears every other Wednesday on any PA scene, it's called Putting in Work. It's marketing. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's, good it's about uh, these types of things in the music industry. Uh, your conclusion, more or less, as we went up the chain and we saw this this repeat over and over again, where people say the music industry is over now because of the, you know because of cassettes, because of CDs, because of MP3s, because of the internet, you know, so on and so forth. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of works itself out, and you know, everything will be okay, and the music industry will survive in some form or another, and music in general survives and gets out to the fans somehow in some form or another so these things are always going to continue and it's just a matter of adapting to them and the laws changing and things like that so it's not necessarily all doom and gloom not everything that we're talking about today i think has is is negative you know and a lot of well, it i think everything is, something new comes around it's doom and gloom until we move on it is until and well until we figure out you know different ways to to kind of meet in the middle and i think that's what you know you, you were touching on a little bit lauren is is uh you know how the people that are creating the content are now trying to find a way to make money on it but at the same time meet those people who are just as easily would bootleg it maybe mm-hmm. if they make it a little bit easier on them in terms of the technology and I mean, I know for a fact I would not have a a cable subscription at all uh, if I didn't have a DVR because I'm just not the kind of person that sits in front of the TV for hours and hours on end or uh, goes uh, to tune in on certain hours, you know, and my schedule just doesn't work that way. So if I didn't have the DVR, then uh, the few shows that I do watch, which there's only two or three, I would bootleg them. That's exactly what I would do. But... I met them in the middle and now I pay a subscription and I pay for the DVR so that, you know, I can watch those shows when I want to. So in a way it worked out for them, but it took them a few years, quite a few years to get to that point. Mm-hmm. But again, that's, that's the, that's the utilities meeting the needs of the consumer, right? It's having that strong marketing arm, that strong marketing strategy to know that this is what has to be done in order to be, Graced with your monetary compensation, <laughs> to put well, that it. That was nicely. the nicest way of saying you paid for that. You pay for it. Yes, yep. they they have a serve. They have the pipes and wires that deliver you the content when you want it, the way that you want to see it. And mm-hmm. the content producers don't have that luxury, right. unfortunately. The bands don't have that luxury, unfortunately. Exactly. A lot of artists don't have that luxury. And what are we going to do about that? Right. I don't know yet, but I mean, here's at the end of the day, I think everybody sits around and we try to have this conversation where it's like, how the fuck do we get known? Like, how do we get people to listen to our shit? And how do we, at the end of the day, I think what it really boils down to and, and, you know, hard work, perseverance. And most of the time, I think 90, you know, I'm not a, whoever makes up statistics. Um, I'm not one of those guys, but I'm, pr- I'm probably assuming 99% of the time it's just blind, dumb luck mm-hmm. where you get, where you get. And in your particular case, you put out a quality product. I think word spreads. And when somebody comes looking for something that is of good quality, that's when they come to you. That's the yeah, only client that you really need to get. Right. And you know, you shouldn't be it's concerned. Given me, it's given me sleepless nights. Put I it know. that way, just being like, 
But when a project I'm comes along, cost. when we Cousin can't. Eddie can take it over and just do it with a cell phone, I wouldn't even worry about it because it's not it's not worth no, but your it, time. But here's but here's the thing. Like the like I'm not the guy who's you know most of the time I'm not the guy who's like screw them. You know I, I'm the guy who's like hey man more power to them. Like competition breeds creativity. It's gonna make me a better better at what I do because you're doing that. I mean Jimmy, the the Beatles and the Beach Boys were like always trying to one up each other. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <clears throat> they were going to just go on in that more, but no, um, <laughs> no, but at that time they were able to, because well, that's, what, that's why the, the channel was more controlled. Yeah. But you were able the the channel was controlled. And like, I think part of the reason why the, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but the movie industry, at least they have some control over their product for the first few weeks when it's in the theater. But then once it gets released digitally, then anybody can have yeah, but it. They've, but they've, the movie industry has openly admitted, um, and, and it's their marketing people and everything. They've openly admitted, like, we care about first weekend. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And that's. And, and we're probably going to drop right. 60% in week two. And that's mm-hmm. usually what happens. Right. Like, the second week numbers aren't about, like, hey, where are we at? It was like, how much did we drop? Mm-hmm. You know? And that's. Right. There's very few movies that are ever just like consistently like, well, well, right. do, usually and, it's 40 to 60%. They drop. Right. But now that weekend to weekend, there's so many variables in it. You can't, well, we were talking about before, you can't take the chance that you once were able to. No. And without the, taking chances, things kind of fit a status quo. And then you get content I mean, out there just the, for the sake of content out I there mean, isn't, isn't that the other thing where it's like no there's no corporations or people who have the money that are willing to take like innovators take chances look at the, the what there's only one platinum record this year right <laughs> does anyone know who it is besides jimmy taylor swift Corey right. knows right it's well, windowing, be, and, it's windowing. We'll, right we'll, and at least i mean before. that's not to say there's not good music out there but on the wait, on wait, a, wait there's only one platinum record in 2014 right correct in the entire we're in the now entire in november year. right Cor- correct because and everybody's one is a million. <laughs> yes. And it's, she sold 1.2 or 1.3 million. First week. Mm-hmm. So no one has hit platinum. No. Since up January until, 1st. Up until about a few weeks ago, there was zero platinum records in the year 2014. It was going to be. Yes. Yeah. But everybody's playing it, at least on like a corporate level. Everybody's playing it so safe that there's no, there's nothing appealing. All right, the numbers so speak for ne- itself. Next week, we're going to record an Animal Sounds album. <laughs> <laughs> you ever, on, on a side note, did you ever hear Pink Floyd's Uma Guma? Mm. No. It's probably a good thing I haven't. Yeah, listen to that. <laughs> listen to that. That'll blow your mind. Maybe next week we can come in with that. Okay. Uma Guma. Or, or our own version. Yeah, what's a, a, a group of small furry animals gathered in a cave grooving <gasps> with a Pict? That's right. That's the name of the song. That's Pink Floyd's Uma Guma. And all it is is animals making noises for like three and a half minutes. It's bizarre. We'll put it out on the record and just demand that we go platinum. <laughs> we'll put it up on Kickstarter. We'll start a thing. All right. Have we hit everything? As far as, you know, we're considered. Concerted, concerted? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm satisfied with, with everything that we've got to. I mean, how, how much more do you want to fit in? Uh, now we're way past the hour. But, we are. You know. And my phone died, so I don't even know how far we are. No, this is, but, but the cool thing is, is like, these are like the cool conversations where you can just, you know. Oh, you, you can go on and on. Yeah, we could do this for eight hours and end up like old old ladies playing bridge, just talking about nonsense. But uh, <laughs> so. But yeah, so, uh, so until uh, next week, 
uh, we're uh, NEPA scene, and uh, I don't know. We haven't decided on a topic for next week yet, so we'll. we'll uh, hey, man, why don't you have uh, the people on the social media try to figure it out? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it might, it might the, be. It, let it, the people decide. At the end of the day, it'll be, it could be an interesting experiment where we're like, no, we are not talking about farm penises. <laughs> So, on next week's podcast not penises we can we can confirm as, that as the primary topic it's right good to know what you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> first sign first first rule of marketing know what you don't want My, we don't want penises michael porter week. once said uh marketing is just as much knowing what not to say as it is what to say which which explains why i'm sometimes a bad marketer <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know, like what, uh, if nobody comes up with anything between now and then, I guess, you know, we'll try to figure out something. I, I think, I think we'll do it in the same way we did this, this week. You know, we'll, uh, somebody will bring up something in just general conversation and it'll, it'll turn into uh into a podcast. I think that's the best way to do it. Okay. And Corey, you're welcome back, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We'll try to, we'll try to fun. get, uh, you know, other guests, but you're, you're our primary. We oh, like God. you. That makes me feel good about yeah, myself. You're, you're the first guest ever, so this yes. you know, feel feel privileged. I like Call it. Clap story. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's all for us. Uh, good night, everybody. Thank you very much. And happy Thanksgiving. Oh, that's right. It is Thanksgiving. Love Thanksgiving. Goodbye. Goodbye, Jimmy. Bye. <laughs>